When I get paid, I spend all that money that first day. And what I mean by that is I have a savings account. So say I got paid $2,000. The first thing I do is I put a thousand of it into the savings account. And then the other bills that I have paid, I pay them next. And then I live on that, you know, five, 600 bucks that I have left over. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Bradley Labrie, and today I want to talk about the podcast sponsor, Rentometer. Whether you already have an established rental business or analyzing your first rental deal, you know that getting the rent right is crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why the go-to source for rent data is Rentometer. Property investors and property managers rely on Rentometer because it is the fastest and easiest way to access quality rent data for addresses and neighborhoods anywhere in the United States. You can also research current, local comps, trends, and property data. Don't take our word for it. Rentometer analyzes over 500,000 rents per month and gets rave reviews from customers. My property manager, myself, and my clients all use Rentometer anytime we were looking to purchase a new property to know exactly what we can get for our properties. Go to Rentometer.com today to get your seven-day free trial and save up to 60%. Grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer. What's up, everybody? Real quick before we start the show. If you go down to the description or the show notes for this podcast episode, there's a link and that's going to send you to a page that you can download our free ebook on. This ebook is really good. Brad wrote it and it covers everything that you need to know about house hacking in a very structured order so you can put all the pieces together. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to House Hacking Success. Today we got Brandon Chittister on the show. He's a fellow Grand Rapids investor. How are you doing today, Brandon? Hey, Drew, doing well. How are you? Wonderful, man. Living the dreams. You're a house hacker here in Grand Rapids. Uh, we're going to get deep into that and talk about it. Before we start talking about the house hack that you have right now, could you tell us a little bit about your background and what kind of led you into real estate investing? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Prior to the house hack itself, I went to Western Michigan, studied sales. And I think along the journey of studying sales, it kind of got me onto more of the success driven, you know, Grant Cardone mindset, you know, being a business individual. And one of the things that I guess I discovered through, um, you know, the podcasts and the books and the sales material is every millionaire, they say, has seven streams of income. And most people just have one, right? You just have your job. So I saw house hacking as the easiest avenue to build that second stream of income. That's kind of what got me turned on to the house hacking idea. I, I can recall where I was at in college listening to a Bigger Pockets podcast when I think it was Craig Kirlop explained what house hacking was. And it's like a light bulb went off. I was like, this is it. I have to do this. So, you know, here we are years later and, uh, you know, I have executed on that. It's been a journey, but there's no doubt that it's a phenomenal way to really get a, a good taste of, of real estate and, and get your feet wet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the cool thing about it is you get immediate results when you start house hacking because you get to live for free. And then it's, but it's not like a get rich quick scheme in any way. It's a long term strategy because the ultimate goal is to move out of that property and use that cash flow to improve your life. Absolutely. And uh, it's by no means is it a get rich quick. I mean, it's certainly a slow <laughs> process, but if you can hold on to that asset, you know, for years to come, the property itself, maybe you bought it for a hundred in a few years, it might be worth 150, right? So it's a really simple, foolproof way of getting started. And, and in the year that you live in it, or if you live in longer, you're going to learn a lot about a house. So, you know, it's a lot different than if you just bought a rental that you never moved into and you know things break and things need fixing and updating and if you've never lived in a home 
probably a lot to learn. But if you start with a house hack, there's a lot of things that you can learn just within that year or two that you do live there. Cool. So now you sell insurance, right? And could you talk a little bit about that? Because it's not your standard home insurance. It's It looks like it's bigger portfolios and it looks like you're doing bigger deals. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So every, everything I do is in the realm of real estate. And I think that came to be, again, in college, look, I knew I wanted to sell, right? It fits my personality. It fits my passions, those great things. But I didn't know what I wanted to sell. And through my discoveries in college, I found that I really like real estate. So was it that I wanted to be a real estate agent? I didn't know if that wanted to be my full-time work. And I found an opportunity with a company called Gallagher. And what I do is I sell insurance for large real estate portfolios. So I knew I'd be working in the realm of real estate. I work with very large real estate investors who own very large apartment complexes and they own dozens of them, right? So that put me in a position to work in sales where I can scale my income, to work in the realm of real estate, which I want to own myself one day, and also to work every day with the best of the best in the real estate world. I'm working with very, very, very wealthy individuals, CEOs, CFOs, owners who where I want to be in a few years, right? So that's on on the insurance end of things. That's that's my a nine to five, if you will. Cool. Yeah. And you know, we see this a lot. People work already in the real estate. They work in the real estate industry already. Mm-hmm. Um, doing something else. Like we had Brandon Bennett, he works for Fund That Flip. Um, we had Connor Anderson works for Bigger Pockets. You know, yeah. people they they're just drawn to the real estate industry and they kind of leverage that W2 job to buy houses and learn about the real estate industry at the same time. You don't have to work in the industry, but it seems to have its advantages. Yeah. Grant Cardone always says they're symbiotic as he words, right? So they go one in the same. So if you can earn your salary, earn your income and your living while learning the industry that you want to passively own real estate in down the road, you're kind of getting two birds with one stone. Yeah, that's a that's a great way of putting that. Yeah. And then on the side, so you're a real estate agent as well. I am also a real estate agent. Yes. Cool. So tell me a little bit about how being a real estate agent has changed your perspective as an investor and has it helped you understand the market of Grand Rapids any better? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you why I even got my license. I think there's a little bit of false hope here. I think a lot of people think, well, if I get my real estate license, I'm just going to know all these things about real estate. And unfortunately, that's not the case. There's a lot of, I would say, incompetent real estate agents out there who really maybe just aren't the best for that career, but they have their license. And I'll tell you why I got mine. It was back in college. You know, we all have our part-time jobs in college, right? And I needed a job. And instead of just going to you know Jimmy John's or something where it would just be a paycheck, I started cold calling real estate offices because I wanted to work in that realm, pay my bills, but also learn more about real estate. And I had called a gentleman who's a real estate broker, but also an investor. And I called him and said, Hey, I want to work for you and learn about real estate investing. And his one caveat was you have to get your real estate license. So I got my real estate license and uh, that was back in college. I learned a lot from that gentleman. And now on to today, you know, I'm, I'm in my young twenties, I'm 24 and many of my friends are starting to purchase homes. So I'd say three to four times a year, um, I'm transacting sales on the real estate side as well. And so to your original question, advantages, it gets me a seat at the table, um, you know, a lot more frequently than somebody who's an investor who's not an agent, right? Like I am seeing very actively what the market is doing here. So if you're not an agent, you're an investor, and you're maybe only looking at a deal once or twice a year, you're not as at an advantage of somebody who's an agent who's doing this, you know, five, six, seven times a year or monthly. Yeah, of course. Uh, and another advantage that you probably have, and I believe you use this was, you can uh, represent yourself on a deal. Yep, I can represent myself on a deal, and and that actually with my original house, my house hack 
them. And currently, um, that was part of what I ended up doing to make the deal work. I waived my commission. So the seller has to pay the commission out of their net proceeds. And the numbers weren't working. And I said, hey, look, I'm the agent here. Technically, you owe me five grand. Keep it. And we'll make this deal work. And I was awarded that deal. Well, so there's two sides of that where you can, you know, either get five grand back uh, just for doing the deal, technically saving five grand on the deal, or Mm -hmm. you can use that to make your offer stronger by waiving the commission. Yeah, it's another- Very cool. Right. Right. It's a, it's a tactic to make the offer stronger that, you know, an agent is purchasing for themselves. They can do that many other individuals can't do right. Um, like no other agent is going to willingly give up his commission if he's not purchasing it for himself. Cool. So, uh, let's get into that first house hack and let's talk about like the months leading up to it. Um, yeah. you know, whatever year it was, you decided you were going to house hack. Now, how did you decide that you were going to start saving up for the down payment? How are you going to come up with the money to be able to buy that first house? Yeah. Here's my best piece of advice that I can give anyone saving for a house hack, but anyone saving in general, right? Savings important. We want to save a portion of our paychecks to be investing, whether it's real estate, whether it's you know stocks or a Roth IRA, those types of things. A lot of people have issues with saving money. And I think it comes down to their habits and what they do when they get paid. A lot of people, there's a great Warren Buffett quote out there and I probably botch it, but essentially he says, don't save what's left after spending, but spend what is left after saving, right? So you save first and then you spend your money. You don't spend your money and they go, oh, there's only a hundred bucks left to save. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so my best advice here is, and this is what I do when I get paid, I spend all that money that first day. And what I mean by that is I have a savings account. So say I got paid $2,000. The first thing I do is I put a thousand of it into the savings account. And then the other bills that I have paid, I pay them next. And then I live on that, you know, five, 600 bucks that I have left over. Rather than getting through the whole month on that two grand, you know, we went out to eat, we this, we that, we Amazon shopped, and then I'm trying to save at the end and there's only a few hundred dollars. I I make priority that first chunk right to the savings Mm -hmm. account. And when it comes to the vehicle to do that, I would tell everyone, get a bank account that does not have a debit card to save, right? Because a lot of people, we save up 500 and then something happens and we have the card and we swipe and now it's down to 200. That amount should always be going up. We should never be tapping into it. It should never be touching it. That amount should just keep climbing. It should be in a bank account. I use Ally. Ally is an online savings account that is tied to your main bank account that you can just transfer money over to, but there's no card, there's no debit, anything. Cool. Yeah. Adding that uh, barrier there is going to keep you from any like yeah. impulse purchases or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do a similar thing. Like I take a big chunk of my paycheck. So I get paid on the 15th and the last day of the month, every month mm-hmm. um, and, and salary. So I, every month on the 15th and then every month, because the last day of the month is always different. I do it on the first. I have an automatic transfer that goes into a savings account as soon as I get paid. So Good. I don't ever get to touch that money. But then what, what's funny, and you probably feel the same way, is like you move all this money to like savings accounts or investments or whatever. Yeah. And then you look at your checking account and you're like, I'm broke. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to live broke. And I, I learned yeah. this, I think, from Grant Cardone. And it was he was just saying live broke. And I never got him. Like, what is he talking about? Like this guy's a... He's got so much money. What does he mean? Live broke. And it means like the minute you get paid, you put that into something that's going to grow. Right. And if you want to think on the rich dad, poor dad side uh, of things, right, you have your liabilities and your assets. The minute you make that money, put it into something that's going to make you money down the road. You know, we don't want to be taking the money we just made and buying something that will never pay us again. Right. Clothes. Unfortunately, clothes will never pay us a return. But if we can take a portion of that check and put it into whether it's a stock fund or a real estate investing account or whatever it is, we want it to one day make us money. 
Cool. So using that process, how long did it take you to save up enough to where you felt comfortable buying a house? Yeah, uh, great question. So I think you got to kind of work backwards, right? Know your market and know what loan you're going to get. So if in my market, the houses are generally $200,000 and I know that I want to use a 5% conventional loan, I need to know that, you know, I need to have 5% of $200,000 saved up and ready to go in the bank. And I would say you should have more than just that 5% because you're going to have closing costs and you're going to have a, you're not going to want to be dead broke when you make this transaction. You want to give yourself a little bit of a buffer there. So start with understanding what number you need. So for myself, I knew I safely, comfortably needed about $15,000. And I moved out here to Grand Rapids after college, found a fairly inexpensive apartment with friends that we rented and uh, kept my expenses low. And that first year, I just sacked away and saved in that ally account as much as I could. And I think a lot of people, what keeps them from saving is they look at their bank at the end of the month and like, oh, you know, I just don't make enough. And I'll tell you, I accumulated close to $25,000, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks at a time, just Mm -hmm. consistently putting it in there, putting it in there, putting it in there. It's just like compound interest. One day you look up, it's like, oh shit, I got six grand. And then the next milestone is hitting 10 grand, right? And then 15, it adds up if you're disciplined and if you continuously do it. So I would say it took me about a year to accumulate. uh, I was about $20,000 or so. And that was plenty to do what I needed to do on my first deal. Awesome. And you know, a lot of people listening probably don't have the money saved up to buy a house hack yet, but you know, using a system like that, like you're using and giving it up to a year, I mean, they can eventually save up for it. It seems like a long time, but when you kind of flip the perspective and you look at your, you did a 5% down deal. Uh, what if you were just going to buy a rental property and not move into it and not house hack it, you're going to have to do what 20 to 25% down. 20%. And how long is it going to take you to save that up? Yeah, it's going to take four or five years if it's taking you a year to save up the 5%. So, mm-hmm. you know, getting into that house hack quicker is nice. And I always tell people like, you can let off the gas once you get into that house hack, just depending on how fast you want to go. Yeah. But because you're cutting out your rent payment and your mortgage payment, mm-hmm. um, you're all of a sudden saving hundreds of dollars a month that you weren't saving before. So yeah. if there's a couple things that you want to bring back into your life that you cut Completely. out prior to that, it's Completely. totally acceptable to do that. So you're, you Hence can make, the coffee yeah. I'm drinking. <laughs> there we go. $3, the $3 coffee, you know, that whole year of uh, ramping up and saving, you know, very diligent and cut the minor expenses. And now, uh, you know, I'm continuing to save and I have that extra layer that I was you know, the extra 500 bucks I was spent used to spend on rent. Now I don't. So I indulge in, you know, a nice coffee every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Saving on a $5 coffee isn't really going to make you rich compared to saving on your rent and saving oh, on your 100%. car payment and Couldn't agree you know, more. so many other things. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't have to cancel your Netflix subscription if you don't want to. No, certainly not. <laughs> But, um, so, all right, you got the down payment saved up and Mm -hmm. it's getting time to start looking at properties. Yeah. Um, what did you look for? And then how did you analyze these properties? How did you run the numbers to know that you're going to actually have a good deal? What's up everybody. Let's take a quick minute and talk about rent ready. Are you new to house hacking and wondering how you find tenants and collect rent, especially while trying to maintain professional boundaries and a shared living space? RentReady can help you manage your house hack setup. For less than $9 a month, you can do it all. Fill rooms quickly with sites like Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist with a free professionally designed listing page. Find high quality tenants with TransUnion certified background checks, electronically send, signed, and store leases, and collect rent for the entire lease or set up month-to-month charges. 
for your tenants, they use RentReady's app to complete the application, sign their lease, and pay you rent. They can even submit maintenance requests from the app instead of knocking on your door. Even better, RentReady is unlimited, so you don't have to pay per unit or per tenant. Just one flat price, which puts more money in your pocket. And speaking of putting more money in your pocket, RentReady has given our listeners a discount to get 50% off any RentReady plan when you sign up using our special code SUCCESS at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using code SUCCESS for 50% off any RentReady plan. All right, let's get back to the episode. What did you look for? And then how did you analyze these properties? How did you run the numbers to know yeah. that you're going to actually have a good deal? Yeah, great question. And I would tell everyone, a lot of individuals <clears throat> get apprehensive and are worried about how to run the numbers. Do I have a good deal? Do I not have a good deal? They get worked up, have self-doubt. And I can tell you, it is incredibly easy for anyone. Let's just take Zillow, for example, or Trulia, any of these websites where we can go find a place to rent. And what I would suggest is after we know the down payment amount that we need and we're continuously saving, when we start looking for a deal, let's look for what it would cost to rent a place near where you want to purchase, right? So if I want to purchase a home, I think, on Banana Street, right, let's look on Zillow and see is there any current houses renting on Banana Street? And if so, how much do they rent for, right? If I want to buy a three bedroom, two bathroom, and there's four rentals on the street right now that are three bed, two bathroom, and they rent for $1,500 a piece, it's fair to say that when I buy that house on Banana Street, it's going to rent for about $1,500 a piece, right? And you can play with the variables of <clears throat> how renovated is the place. If the place right next door or a few blocks down from where you want to purchase is old, outdated, nasty, but it's running for $1,500, man, when I buy my place and I completely fix it up and put some nice granite in there and I clean the floors and I paint the walls, I might be able to get $1,700, right? Or vice versa. If that place is really nice and the place I buy is kind of crappy, you know, you got to knock it down a few pegs. Yeah. And if you're in Grand Rapids and you <laughs> accept dogs, you're going to get like an extra hundred. <laughs> it seems like everyone is looking for a place that accepts dogs out here. But yeah, that's that's great. And then when you started looking for houses, it's my understanding that you had a few offers that were declined and uh, Absolutely. it took you a little bit to find the right property. Yeah. It is a very uh, vicious process. I know several people who have started looking for a home, their first home, right? And they've gotten beat up and rejected on a few offers and they just put their hands up and say, look, I'm, I'm done. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to wait till the market crashes or the market comes down. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, people were saying that in, in 2018 and Hey, look, I, I totally believe it. It'll, it'll happen one day, but I'm not in a position where I want to sit on the sidelines. I remember I have a friend of mine in 2018 who is, Oh man, I think it's going to crash. I think it's going to crash but bought a house anyway, and his house is appreciated over $100,000 now. Yeah. It's like, man, look at all that appreciation you made. You know, God forbid you, you didn't execute. You would have lost out on all that all that uh, appreciation. But what was your original question? I totally went off tangent. Oh, what was it like? You know, you went through, uh, you had some deals or offers right. to client. Rejection, rejection. You know, what yeah. was it? Yeah, what was it like going through yeah. that and then eventually finding the right seven, one? Yeah, I think it was the seventh, the, the home I'm in currently was the seventh deal we made. Here's the most important mm -hmm. part. We need to go back to the drawing board every time we lose a deal. That's the most important thing. And this is me as an agent, as an investor. Every time we put an offer and we lose, okay, why is it, right? Let's, 
and we got we want to get feedback from that agent, right? We don't we don't um, play the woe is me card. Let's talk to him. Hey, how come ours didn't win? And maybe he'll say, look, you could have offered free occupancy, and that's what we needed, but you didn't, and you know we took a different offer, right? We want to know how to best structure our next you know offer or deal that we put together. So I would always seek feedback, be open minded, and understand this is part of the process. Don't beat yourself up. Because if you just, you just get defeated if you beat yourself up. And it took me seven, you know, that's a lot of houses I went through lost. You know, it's like putting your offer, you wait two days later or a day later that night. And it's like, nope, you lost. All right, back to the drawing board, back to the drawing board. So it's a frustrating process, but especially with how busy and competitive the market is currently. Um, but I'll tell you where you'll find success is try not to look for the house that everyone else wants, right? Everyone wants a three bed, two bathroom that is com like completely remodeled and refinished. That house will sell for 40, 50,000 over market and it'll have 25 offers on it. You know, one of the houses I really wanted, same thing, everything was refinished, granite, beautiful. And I lost, but it had 36 offers on it. And that's when I went back to the drawing board and I said, you know what? It is incredibly, your odds are so stacked against you when you are going up against 35 other people. So what I would tell you is look for the house that needs some work. Look for the house that maybe doesn't have two bathrooms. I know we'd love it. We all would love that bathroom. But if we could look for a three-bed, one-bath, which is what I went with here, this house had six offers on it, you know, so significantly less. I was able to uh, make it a fraction of that just because some individuals are, you know what, I will not accept anything less than two, two bathrooms, right? So look for something that needs paint. Look for something that needs a little bit of love. Uh, and I think that's where you'll find yourself a little bit, uh, your success rate being a little bit stronger than continuously chasing the one, the house that everyone else is chasing. Yeah. And then you, like you talked about earlier, you got creative on the offer too and uh, made it a little more compelling to the seller. Yeah. hundred percent. So after you got that offer accepted, you know, it's time to start finding tenants. You got a single family. So you went with rent by the bedroom. I'd like mm -hmm. to talk about that because our audience is always curious about how to structure rent by the bedroom, sure. you know, how to make sure yeah. everyone's going to get along and that it's going to go great. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, how you found the tenants and uh, how you structured the leases to make sure that it accommodates everybody and make sure that the shared living space is taken care of? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say like starting with everything, we need to make sure we understand that that this is a business, right? So we, we have to put proper steps and procedures in mm -hmm. place. So instead of just, oh, I've got a house and I rent out the rooms to my friends and I, they'll probably pay me and, I, and everything's good. It's like, you could go that route, but boy, you could get burned. And what do you have at stake? I tell you what, if you just spend the past year saving $15,000, that's what you have at stake. And that'd be a tough lesson to learn if you worked so hard to get here and then you just half-ass the rest of the process, right? So as far as finding um, roommates, if you have, you know, friends in the area who, you know, would like to live with you, that's a great scenario. And if assuming that their income and those types of things check out, and I would encourage you, even if they are your friends, have a standard little application and income verification and just say, hey, man, I know this is uh, I know this is kind of a lot to ask, but I'm running this as a business. This is really important to me. Could you just fill this out? Right. So I kind of went that avenue. I, one close friend of mine moved in. He, I actually lived with him uh, last year. So it was a, a simple transition. No problem at all. And then I had one other room still available. And I turned to some Facebook pages. There's some um, like roommate Grand Rapids pages and you get an interesting crowd on there. I'll say that um, a lot of individuals in unique places, but I had placed my rental on there for the one room and I 
saw a gentleman who ironically went to like a rival high school of mine who went to central Michigan. He's actually a, um, a news anchor here in town in Grand Rapids at Wood TV. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, I was like, well, you know, I gave him a call and, um, you know, same, you know, same on board as far as where we're at in life. He's, you know, a young professional goes to the gym. We got along great. And, uh, I had him fill out an application one thing I had him do, which I would suggest this to anyone, talk to that individual's previous landlords. And if they don't provide that information or if they don't have previous landlords, it's a little bit of a red flag. And he had given me the contact for his two past landlords. And I called both of them. And the two questions I'd always ask is, was this individual ever late on rent? Do they owe you rent? And did they ever damage your home? Mm -hmm. And my roommate absolutely passed both of those tests. Both the landlords said, no, oh my gosh, she's phenomenal. No issues with payment or damages. He was great. And then just having conversations with him and knowing that he's a, a good individual, I was like, all right, he passes the test and it's worked perfectly. I have had no, no issues. Cool. And then uh, when you move out of this property, do you uh, intend to continue to rent by the bedroom or are you going to, you know, just rent it out to whoever comes in as a full three bedroom? Yeah. House? You know, there's, there's a Grand Valley campus. Uh, downtown Grand Rapids here. And there's a handful of college students that live around here. So I, mm -hmm. I think what I do is what, what's nice too. So I guess if we want to talk numbers per month, my, you know, PITI principal interest taxes insurance is about 980 bucks. And what I bring in in rent is about 960 bucks. So effectively I'm kicking, kicking in 20 bucks into, into rent, you know, each month. So when I move out, I can charge an additional about 480 for my room. So I should be cash positive about 450, 460 bucks uh, once I move out of this. What I'll mm -hmm. likely do is I'll, I'll, I'll put it on, you know, on, on a listing for Zillow or Trulia, probably for around 1400. Um, I'm not too worried whether they want to do per room or how they want to do it. Just 1400. Okay. Yeah. Find a group that probably wants to split it or whatever. Um, I, and just curious. So, for those who are going to house hack in a single family, uh, how are you handling the utilities right now? Is it just split all right down the yeah, middle? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we split it up. So, I mean, everything's in my name because I own the home, and that's the yeah. easiest way to do it. But it's just like college, right? We all we all went through that at college when we had yeah. roommates and stuff. <laughs> hey, then you know, hey guys, here's the number for this bill. And what I do is because I'm a little Excel guru. Every time the bill comes in, I'll type, you know, this one's in this one, this one's in, uh, you know, electrical's this, water's this. Uh, gas is this. And then I'll factor that number and I'll do a division by three. And then I'll just text the guys a screenshot and say, Hey guys, you know, it's uh, going to be 60 bucks. Well, yeah. it's easy enough. Yeah. Right. And I would, um, I would also recommend with that too, anyone, you know, doing the house hack, have a bank account just for the house, right? So all those utilities and everything can be tied to the house, the mortgage and everything tied right to the house. And I would use it as a savings account as well. You know, if, even if you're able to cash flow, let's keep some money in there. Let's not be spending it. Let's keep some money in there because God forbid the furnace goes or the water heater, mm -hmm. or there's a leak in the roof or a pipe bursts. If you have to tap into your own savings and your own checking, and, and that's fairly unfortunate, but if you can continuously put a little bit of in there to where you have maybe a, a $10,000 uh, savings account just for the house. That way you don't have to come out of pocket when something happens. Yeah, that's really good advice. And that's something, you know, it's good to have going in, but on the flip side, you know, I mean, you should have a savings account going in if you can. 
But on the flip side, if you're moving into a property that you could afford monthly, even if it's vacant, um, you're not taking on a lot of risk, right? Uh, Right. So if those things do come up after you move in, it probably isn't going to be as big of a deal. And you can start that savings account after you move in if you weren't able to to do it beforehand. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'll tell you, Drew, you should have that savings. But God, I got to be honest, when I bought this house, man, when I bought this house, it took every penny. And I I remember... uh, coming real close. My lender was like, Hey, you have the money, right? I was like, yeah, barely. Um, (laughs) but I remember a real estate, I sold a house like right as the same time I was buying mine. I remember that one real estate commission, uh, coming in and it was like so meaningful. I was like, God, I need this, you know? But, um, so I don't know whether that's good advice, but you should have the extra savings. Um, but you're not dead in the water. If you Uh, don't, (laughs) I I did the same thing on my first one. And like, it was, I even borrowed a little bit of money too, just to get in there and then paid it back pretty quick. Same, same, you know, if we're not advising that you do that, no, but if no. you do start saving immediately when you get into it and once you yeah. are saving on your rent, get those savings yeah. ready and you want to have that savings account before you buy the second. Because well, you now you got, to- if you go buy the second, you got two properties that you got to worry about. You need that safety net then. Yeah. And I'm sure that's a big hesitation for a lot of people right there. Oh, I just don't think I have enough. I don't think I have enough. And, you know, a little bit of a mental hurdle. But I'll tell you, the whole house hacking idea in general, I know we talked about this earlier. You're going to have, you know, mom or dad or family and friends who are like, oh, that's a bad idea. Right. They're trying to talk you out of it just because it's something they wouldn't do. They don't want you to do it. Right. And you have to get away from the naysayers and the negative people. You got to surround yourself with other house hackers who are currently benefiting from this, who know it's a good, strong financial choice. And if you don't know any house hackers, just absorb the content, absorb the podcasts, the bigger pockets. You need to normalize the idea of house hacking. That way, when you submit five offers and you lose, you don't get frustrated enough to where you quit. You got to keep up and and keep surrounded by those right individuals who tell you, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and this is a really great financial decision. So I just tell you, avoid those negative people and surround yourself with people who know that this is a really good choice to make. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how we met. You know, we did a mastermind group together. And uh, the cool thing about it was um, just being around these people that have these big goals. It really pulls you in the direction that they're going. It's like a gravitational pull. Yeah. That just like, oh, I got to do this now. Like it's incredible. So yeah, yeah, whoever you're around, I mean, you're going to pick up their habits. I never would have to pick what those are. 100%. I never would have executed what I did on this home had I not been in a group with yourself and Connor and Brad and, and Brendan Bennett. Here, Brendan Bennett, a gentleman who's my age, he owns like six houses right now. Yeah, I, I know, mean, come on. It. I mean, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's being alongside him and learning from him as much as I have. Uh, it makes me hungry. It makes me, you know, here I am saying, oh, geez, I don't know if I can do this one, one house hack. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've done it six times. I'm like, okay, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. How did you do it? Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, right. Exactly. That, that's a cool thing. Like they're, they're going to give you a blueprint. And if you do that mastermind, yes. everyone's best interest is in mind. They're like, you're holding each other accountable. You're setting goals. Like we were setting goals every week. Like this is what we're going to do next week. We're going to analyze 10 mm-hmm. properties. I'm going to save this much money. And I'm going to do this and it's going to get me one week closer to that goal that I set at the beginning yes. of this mastermind. And we all started seeing that forward progression because of it. So before we started recording, you were telling me how uh, millionaires, most millionaires have seven streams of income. Can you talk about why that resonated with you and why it's important to you? And do you have any goals kind of centered around that statement? Yeah. You know, and something I've heard Warren Buffett say several times and <clears throat> 
look, I don't know how they, what they're considering the seven streams, right? If I'm making interest on in a stock account, is that considered you know a stream of income? I'm not sure. Maybe not. But most people just get one paycheck every month. We're just dependent on this one thing. And I know I want to get to that higher level where I got money coming in from a couple different ways. And there's folks in my own life who are very successful people. And I, I can see it, right? They're getting, it's just not just their job. There's several areas that they're, the side business or rentals that they're getting paid. So house hacking to me was the easiest and quickest way. Hey, I can get an extra stream of income by choosing to live with other individuals rather than just living myself in a property that I own, right? So, and my, like we mentioned earlier, I hate, I'm a real estate agent as well, as well as an insurance broker. So I'm, I guess, really at three maybe, but house hacking to me was just a very simple way of using my living situation as another income stream. Yeah. The cool thing about it too, is it's all savings, right? So that yes, you have rental income coming in, but if you do your taxes right, it's going to offset that rental income and you're not going to have to pay on that. We have an episode with Anna Klein and you can learn a lot more about that if uh, you want to go listen to it. But that that's all savings. So you are, you know, you're paying $20 a month to live in that house. Um, yeah. Whatever you were paying before, I don't know what it is, maybe $500 to $1,000 mm-hmm. per month. That's mm-hmm. all an extra $500 to $1,000 a month yep. tax free. You're not paying 30% of that to Uncle Sam or whatever. Like you, right. that's all <clears throat> your pocket. And that that's huge. Yes. I'll tell anyone, and I did listen to your tax uh, episode, which was phenomenal and really got some um, light bulbs turned on in my head here. And I, the tax professional I use, he specializes in real estate. He only does real estate. And this first year that I home my home, I went to do my tax return and we did some unique things with depreciation with the house. And I was able to capture a return because of the house and because of the way we structured it, I was able to capture a return of about $5,000. So what I'll do now is I'm not going to go willy nilly buy a set of golf clubs and all these crazy things. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, the reason I got that return is because of the house. I'm going to put that money in the house account. Now I have a, a strong $5,000 in there. So again, like we talked about before, when the water heater blows, when the furnace blows, there is money that I can turn to, right? I love that. So you're going to buy a uh, second house hack now. So well, let's talk plan. about that's, that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the plan. Like, okay. So right now I got to kick out, you know, 20, 20 bucks a month to cover, cover the costs here. Um, fairly modest here. Right. So, but what I want to do is when I move out and it can start charging for my bedroom, I can be positive, you know, another 450, 460 bucks a month. So I want to get to that scenario as quickly as possible. Um, my savings rate is significantly increased that now that I'm not paying to paying living expense other than that $20 we talked about. So I've got the money saved up and now I just have to secure the lending, right? So I already have the debt impact of this home. Now I just need to structure things and work with my lender to hopefully you know, acquire the um, the lending for another 200,000 or so to where I will likely do the same scenario. I will likely, my two roommates now, uh, we're great together. We really enjoy living together. We'll likely go live in another home, cool. do the same thing here. But now this house will pay me an extra 450 bucks or so a month. That works out really well. So do you think getting the second house is going to be easier than getting the first? Or do you think the second one is harder? I would say it's harder because when you have, it's a really good question. It depends on how you look at it, right? The second, the the lending is more difficult, right? But the process, God, I know the process. I know the process Mm -hmm. because I'm an agent, but I know the process because I've done it and I have the confidence. And I think a lot of people who are maybe on the fence is they don't have the confidence to go out and do something. And let me tell you, you won't have the confidence until you do it. And I think that's something I learned from bigger pockets is Brandon Turner is he would, he would say, look, you just have, you might even mess up. You might even, it might be a horrible deal. 
But the only way you're going to learn this process is getting out there and doing it, right? Anything we do in life, we trip, we stumble, we have mistakes. But as long as you're not an idiot, you learn from them and you never do those mistakes again. And then one day, hey, we're pretty good at this thing. So executing and finding the deal and, and making sure cash flows, all those things. Yeah, I can do that. No problem. The lending is a little more tough because and I'm not sure if you want me to go into this, but obviously the lender is going to look at your debt to income, right? Your lender is going to, he's going to say, you know, I'd love to loan you some money, but how much do you make a month? And I'm going to put that against how much bills you have. And what's a little bit more difficult to acquire that lending now, I have, you know, $180,000 loan on this house. So there's significantly uh, more debt tied to my name currently. So it'll be a little bit trickier getting that loan. Sure. I like what you're saying too about the building the confidence. Um, one great example of that is co-host uh, Bradley of this podcast. He he talks about it in I think episode one, but his first property he lost 10 grand on. A tenant got murdered. Like a bunch of things went mm. completely wrong. Yeah. It'd be very easy for him to just be like, all right, real estate's not it. I'm going to go yeah. try something else. But he continued to do it and he owns multiple apartment buildings now. He's flipping houses like he's he's absolutely killing it because he learned from that failure and moved forward from it despite losing, you know, all the money he had at the time. 100%. Yeah, that's how we learn, right? And, and mm-hmm. we start off and we look silly or we might feel dumb. And that's just part of learning. As long as we learn from those mistakes, make sure we don't do them again, or at least we minimize them in the future. One day you're going to be pretty good at it. Absolutely. So let's talk about, you know, what are your big, like long-term goals? Like what's really the reason that you're getting into real estate? Like there's always that why. And we were talking earlier before we recorded. And uh, Mm -hmm. one thing I thought was really cool. You said you want to go on an elk hunt. Um, Yeah. So maybe maybe, uh, share that and share why that relates to real estate. Sure. The whole, the whole idea, right. The whole real estate. And and fortunately I really like real estate. I I, I like the business and all these other things. It, It would, it'd be, a little bit, you know, less of an advantage if I was just doing it for the money, right? But actually, I really do like the business. Uh, but aside from that, what are we doing it all for, right? What's the whole wealth and all this stuff for? And the best way I can break it down is money gives you options, right? We don't like to do, you know, go on the fancy vacations, and you know, we'd like to have have the lake house for for the wife and the kids. God, wouldn't you love that to be able to go tubing and water skiing and have your friends out on Fourth of July and all those great things? But unfortunately, a lot of us don't have that, right? So I want to have the financial means to be able to be that guy, to be able to be the guy that has the boat, to be able to be the guy that can take his family on vacations and give his children amazing experiences, right? So the whole reason I'd say we do all these things, and I, as you mentioned, you know, an elk hunt, I, I'm, I'm an outdoorsman. I, I enjoy hunting and fishing and those great things. And there's some really extravagant trips you can go on out West. And God, I'd love to do that. And right now, does it make sense? No, I'm not quite there. But one day when I've acquired you know, I, I'm sure one at one point I'm going to get into a real estate business of owning apartment complexes because that's when you really start to scale the income. I talk about you know cash flowing 450 bucks now, and some of the clients I work with, they're cash flowing 450 thousand a month on some of these assets. So it's like that's the level I'd like to get to. Um, but again, just to give you options to to live the life you want to live. Yeah, hundred percent. It's just an engine, right? Like just like money's an engine. It's an engine to get you to live the life that you want to live. Yeah. It's essentially buying your freedom. Yeah. You're buying your freedom. That's a great way of looking at it. Cool. So do you have a favorite book, like a favorite business or mindset uh, book that you would recommend? And it can be any resource. It doesn't necessarily have to be a book. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do. And I guess what I'll share is, I know this book's not for everyone, but it really aligned with my personality. And I think it it really got me started on this, um, you know, success journey, if you will, which is the 10x rule by Grant Cardone. You know, it's, it's a lot to take on. He's very aggressive and in your face kind of a person. But what Grant does is he really challenges you to say, hey, how hard are you working now? And how much harder could you work, right? His whole idea is, What's your goal? Times it by 10. What's your input? What are you doing every day? Times it by 10. Because often, and if you're a fan of David Goggins, he also speaks of this as well, is we really only tap a a small percentage of our potential and and we call it a day. We wipe our hands and say, well, that's me for the day. But really, there's so much more gas in the tank. There's so much more we could just hit the pedal and keep going, but often we don't. So I think that book really... um, opened my eyes to say, hey, you know what? I am a a pretty driven individual and I could probably obtain a lot more if I just put my mind to it. Yeah, David Goggins, like it doesn't matter how hard you worked that day. No, if you go listen to David Goggins, you feel like Uh, the laziest person ever, but in a good way, like it, where it it instills drive in you to work harder. I love listening to him. Yeah, I'll tell you, here's just one thing I think of him is there's it's somewhere he quoted something like this, which was, you know, uh, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. A body at rest tends to stay at rest. So what I would tell you is try and be in motion, right? Make your decisions when you're in motion. Don't make your decisions when you're at rest, right? A lot of us will lay in bed and go, eh, not go to the gym. It's like, yeah, well, you're in bed. You're not going to, who wants to get out of bed and go to the gym? You just got to get up, put your feet on the floor, get moving, you know, have your workout shoes and your shorts and your shirt right there on the ground, wake up, put it on and get out the door. Keep moving. Yep. Get out of bed. Right. <laughs> if you rest, exactly. you rust. There you go. Yep. So, uh, what about a, what would be like your favorite real estate book or resource? Favorite real estate book. So kind of in the same realm of things and trying to think what their group is called. So this book is called miracle morning and there's a um, go abundance. It's called, that's it. Uh, Miracle Morning, and um, that's tied to Go Abundance is a real estate mastermind group. And um, this gentleman, this book's called Miracle Morning, and he talks about basically he breaks down after all these interviews, he breaks down the key principles that some of the most successful people implement in their day. And I think just a preview of them is, you know, exercise, um, vision. So you're visioning, right? If I'm going to be going and selling large uh, insurance products to big investors, it's hard to do that if I haven't visioned it first, right? So spending Mm -hmm. time each morning after we work out, we're visioning, you know, that meeting, visioning me making those phone calls, right? Um, Journaling, writing down goals. These are things that some of the most successful people do every single day. And it's a phenomenal resource. Awesome. We'll link to that. Um, one last question before we get going. What is one thing that separates house hackers that are actually doing it from people that want to house hack but haven't gotten started? Taking action, brother. I mean, it's just taking action and that's how you learn. It's your attitude as well, right? Because we could take action, things don't go according to plan, and then we have a poor mental attitude and just say, oh, I knew it, or oh, this isn't for me, or oh, this or that. Having the right mental approach and taking action it's worth its weight in gold. And, and that's what you see the most successful individuals excelling at because they have the right mentality of learning from their mistakes and continuing on and getting bigger and better. And they're continuously taking action. Awesome. So I appreciate you coming on the show. It was an awesome episode. I think oh, everyone got blessed. a lot of like really good practical step-by-step advice that they could use to get into their first house hack. Where can people learn more about you in case they want to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, my name is Brandon Chittister. I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn uh, with my real estate side of things. I'm also on Instagram at chid the kid. 
And those are probably the two best resources. Awesome. We'll link to the bio. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. So great, Drew. Thanks again.